Welcome to Gynecologic Surgeons Unscrubbed, a bi-weekly podcast in collaboration with the Society of Gynecologic Surgeons, focusing on expert interviews to explore the insights, habits, and expertise of individuals both in and outside of medicine. My name is Dr. Kara King, and I am your host. On today's episode, we have part two of the fantastic interview with Janet Dombrowski. Now, if you missed last week's episode, Janet is an executive coach with incredible insight into leadership, team building, and aligning culture, especially within the world of surgery. We will actually be able to see her speak live next week in Palm Springs when she gives our infamous to Lynn's lecture. Now in part two of her interview, Janet is going to discuss the importance of compassionate self-talk and provide insight on how to maintain momentum. I'll see you guys soon in the beautiful 120 degree weather of Palm Springs. Safe travels, everyone. And you're talking about this competitive nature, you're right. And part of that competitiveness, just like you stated, is within us, right? Like I should oh, be able to yourself. Right. I should get through this hysterectomy in 45 minutes less, right? But then you're balancing the education component and the stage four endo component, all these other components. And then the other part of that is, right, our leadership, like our bosses of the boss saying, you need to meet this many RVUs, you need to get this many cases done, right? To j- almost justify your worth. And it can be hard to separate those two. Right? Do you see that in yes. some of your some of your other surgeons? Oh, absolutely. I mean, those because those external metrics, some of them are very real, right? yeah. especially now coming out of the pandemic with a lot of places having to recover their case volume that yes. they lost during the beginning part of the pandemic, and the pressure on surgeons being really high in that. Yeah. And so I, I see it even more now. But to be really honest, the bigger pressure is the pressure in your head. Right, which is, I always, whenever a client says the word should, like you said, like I should be able to get this done faster. As soon as I hear the word should, I have to stop them and say, based on what? Where's that should coming from? Like, or or the the sort of, you know, sort of colloquial joke is don't should on yourself. As soon as you say that, you have to ask yourself, like, by what measure? What should what? Yeah. Should who's where where did that where did that come from? Yeah. Those other things are, are real, like the the push from the from the health from the administrators who I was one, so I know how to, I know how to, to I know how to crunk those screws. <laughs> it's real because you have to if you want to get money to invest in the next piece of equipment that you need, or right. then that has to has to be done. But yes, that I see a ton of that competitiveness. It's it's real. And your comments are making me think about self-talk as well, right? Like this, don't mm. shit on yourself. That's so funny. I haven't heard that. I love that. Um, <laughs> but like the self-talk of things that we say to ourselves. And sometimes I think about my self-talk and the, some things that I say, I would never say to anybody else, right? Like never would even think that or say that to somebody else. So why, why do I put that on myself, right? And so sometimes mm-hmm. just stopping and reflecting on that and being like, wait a second, I need to have some grace and compassion with myself in this situation too. Absolutely. And there's a there's sort of a great Buddhist saying, which is if you can't be compassionate with yourself, you'll never be compassionate with anybody else. So if you think you're compassionate with other people, you probably aren't if you're still being tough on yourself. And and I, and it pervades the whole surgical culture, right? I mean, that's this being tough on ourselves, being tough on the trainees, being tough on and the medical students. It, mm-hmm. It's everywhere. And I get that there's a certain sense, like you, you don't want people who are like, oh, whatever, right. when they're holding your life in their hands. On the other hand, do you really want people who are constantly scared and talking badly to themselves in their head right. or anxious and worried? You want them suitably concerned 
focused, appropriately aware of what the risks are, but freaked out and anxious, probably not. Right. You're right. And I've seen some colleagues that's happened to, right? Like in settings of complications, like getting back on the horse after you've had a complication, like I've seen severe anxiety in that situation. Have you coached people through that before? You know, it's funny. I, I hadn't up until fairly recently. And actually, but the same things that you have to do to get through getting back on the horse of the complication are the same things you have to do when anything you have to do new that is uncomfortable. And I think a lot of it has to do with back to this, when you're already successful and you just keep doing what you've been doing, you get this sort of sense of the word. There's, there's actually something until Gawande said in one of his books, and I can't remember what it is, but it's sort of like the satisfaction of competence and how you use that to, I don't know what's the right way to say it, meet your personal needs. So there's this sort of satisfaction being competent. And then when all of a sudden your competence is either, it's something new you need to learn like leadership or your competence has been tested like with a, with a complication, you don't know what to do yourself because you you're so, your self-worth is so grounded in being competent. And it's funny because I think that's part of what's happened over this year is this year of the, during the pandemic, when we didn't really know what to do, yeah. When all of a sudden, those of us who are super smart and you know generally get up every day thinking we got our act together, and I mean everybody from the physicians to the parents who get up and get their kids out the door to work, and right. the people who do their jobs every day, we thought we we got it all going on, and then all of a sudden, nope, <laughs> all routine done, right? <laughs> yeah, all knowing, all comfort. Now all of a sudden, we're all collectively uncomfortable and 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 disoriented, and yes. we don't like being just. Dis- what surgeon likes being disoriented? Zero percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. You're right. And when surgery is your identity or whatever profession you're in, when that becomes your identity and you take that away, you're right. You have like a come to Jesus. You're like, oh my God, if I can't operate, then what am I? Right. And so the number of surgeons I talked to who were stuck not operating at the beginning of the pandemic, when a surgeon's not operating, they have really lost, they've lost it because your identity is so tied up in, in doing those cases. They were really very disoriented. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I just recently interviewed Dr. Mark Walters, who is an internationally known urogynecologist, and he recently retired. And I tapped into a lot of these type of questions, right? Like now that you're retired and you're operating, like it was just interesting Mm. seeing his mental transition of, you know, not doing what he's done for the last, you know, 40 years. It's a a big shift. Well, and and what I was striking to me, and this would be striking to listeners who are probably not your listeners who would be non-surgeons, is that the OR is your happy place. It's yes. the, for most surgeons, that's the place of calm. That's the place of most satisfaction. It's where, you, but that's just it, right? So then when you ask people, okay, well, go do some leadership, they're like, ah, that's kind of scary. Oh, yes. that's really unpredictable. Oh, that's really slow. And <laughs> yes. you know, like, let me go back to the OR. That's my temple. I, I, I Everything yeah. makes sense there. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, and some of that, let's just be honest, you're in charge there and nobody questions that, generally speaking. And I think that's probably part of what makes the OR, it, it's a sense of control, right? I can control much of what goes on in here. And and I don't mean that in, in, a, in a negative way by any stretch, but if the surgeon isn't sort of the captain of the ship in the OR, the question would be who is. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean you're being obnoxious or anything, and it does take the team. But generally speaking, we call the it's shots. All about, yeah, that's, yeah, that seems so obvious when you say it, but I don't know why I haven't really thought about it that way. But you know, my husband's an anesthesiologist, 
And so I'll go home and still want to be the surgeon in the house. <laughs> and How's that working for you, as they say? Not, no, coaching has helped me, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're right. He'll make comments like, like, Kara, we are not in the OR anymore, man. Like, you can't ask for more T-Berg right now. Like, you need to <laughs> stop with the surgeon requests. Yeah that, that, yeah, that actually comes up in my kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would say because you know what, we just, it, that's where our brains work. In fact, the, yeah. part of what I really like is the connection between neuroscience and leadership. And I spend a lot of time thinking about this. So the reason that you do the same thing in your kitchen that you do in the OR yeah. is because that's habitual thinking and the, yeah. the neural pathways in your brain are grooved that way. But there's a reason for that. And that is that we end up with this idea of our brains do things habitually to keep the excess capacity for managing threat. Yes. So old, protective, long-term survival strategy is that you do the things that are easy to do on autopilot. So at the margins, your brain has ability to keep open and aware for threat. Think about yes. that in the operating room. Mike, you, you do everything that you're doing so that if at the margin something bad happens, you've got some capacity, both mental capacity, physical capacity, to, to get out of that problem. Yes, you're exactly right. That, that's where my synapses go, like automatically. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we shouldn't beat ourselves up about being habitual about how we behave. It's The goal is really to just become more intentional. That's what coaching is all about, is to be make the stuff that's invisible more visible Yeah. so that you can decide if you want to keep doing it that way. Yes. Just like we're watching video doing surgical coaching. Yeah. You make the invisible visible by watching it on the by watching it on the screen with your coach, where your coach says, Now now I see you're doing X. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot, it seems to be like a lot of tension on that retractor. And then they're like, Oh gosh, I never noticed that. Right. Oh, making the invisible visible. Really God, you are so wise, Janet. I swear to God. I wonder if the explanation will make my husband more understanding. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know how that goes. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know, Janet. <laughs> Maybe oh, I need to talk to your husband so he can have some he can have some return, you know, tricks right. and tips. Seriously, yeah, you're right. And that's his birthday present this year. In regard to this past year, we're talking about COVID a little bit, and you're right. It's been exceptionally difficult for all of us, like collective, just like you said, collective kind of chaos and routines have been, have, have fallen away. And, you know, one emotion or issue that I have personally faced over the last few months to a year is really how to maintain momentum. You know, especially when mm. we're being pulled in multiple different directions, maintaining momentum and keeping your focus. Do you have any suggestions on how to tackle that? Hey, I love that you use that maintaining momentum. I, I, I think we may have talked a little bit about it before. I, I think when something was, when, when we thought it was just that sort of short time right at the beginning, we thought, oh, we can get through this. This is going to be great. We can do it. Everybody musters. People yeah. come running to the fire. And then the more it went on and the more it went on. And then for some places there was a, a second peak. And then for other places there was a third peak. And, you know, that's when people started to just lose it, right? To start yeah. to lose their momentum. And, and that's because we're not and an aggregate super resilient. There's one of my favorite quotes is endurance is the near enemy of resilience. Another good one. Yeah, I, was going to, I wish I could tell you who it's by. I think it's again, I'm I it's a, probably by a Buddhist teacher of some sort. Yeah. But so many people who've come through medical education and then surgical education on top of that, endurance is their calling card, right? 
Yes. You don't pee, you don't go to the bathroom in the OR, your shoulder hurts, your knee hurts, you just keep working. Your neck is sore, your eyes hurt, you just keep working. You're, you finish that case, there's another emergent case, you just keep working. And so endurance is not is not a resilience characteristic. And so so endurance, so maintaining momentum is kind of going back and saying, what's it, what's it going to take to stay in the game is what I would, is what I would say. I actually, when I did this talk for a group, I talked about the, if you could roll yourself all the way back to physics and what's the, what's the equation for momentum. And so it's mass times velocity. And if you remember, velocity is speed and direction. So it's really mass, speed, and direction are things that you need to think about. And I think for surgeons in particular, the biggest problem is speed. It's that endurance question. Yeah. It's that that slowing down. Slowing down one feels weird, but is essential to making different choices. Because if you don't slow down, you just keep doing what you've been doing. The mass question, I think, is one that kind of plays in a little bit to what I'm going to be talking about at the Talind lecture, which is how do you amass, bring more people, more ideas, more resources to the problem instead of going it alone? That's so amassing more people is part of increasing mass, which should increase momentum. If you really just use the physics analogy. Yeah. Wow. So it's, but, but, but since many of you are not great at asking for help, you're pretty independent in your getting up and doing whatever it is you do every day. This idea of bringing more people to the table and unlocking the sort of the potential of a, of a group isn't first nature. You're right. You know, not asking for help. You're right. Like even as a resident, I remember my attending telling me like, call me if you need anything, but calling me is a sign of weakness. Like don't call me. (laughs) Right. Mm, Right. I mean, these things come up. And so that oftentimes you're exactly right. If we ask for help, it's showing that we have a weakness somewhere or a skills gap or a knowledge gap. And getting rid of that is just so critical to optimize patient care and outcomes. And I have talked to so many surgeons about that. So you have to change your thinking about it, right? You have to yeah. change it, the thinking. That's, I mean, it's not like you can't pick up the phone and call or have somebody call. It's making the decision and changing your mindset around it. So what I found effective for people in that situation is what's most important in yeah. that moment? What's most important? What's the why? Yeah. And the why is, is this patient going to do better if I stand here and futz around with this by myself, yeah. or is this patient going to do better if I ask someone to come in and give me a hand? Yeah. And if that's the if that's the the replacement thinking to the I've got to be independent, I can't show vulnerability. You got to find something that's going to be compelling enough to get over your hab- habit or your habitual thinking to do something different. Keeping and your true hard. north, right? Like the true north is the patient. That's why we're all here, right? Yep. Yep. But yeah. you know more as well as I do, we actually know way better than I do, that in the moment, sometimes that patient is completely lost in the equation. And that is re-anchoring in that uh, yeah. is important. Or even if it's like, I think maybe one of the other ways to re-anchor if you needed to like call for help is to be a better teacher, right? To model that calling yeah. for help is a good thing. So if it's, I want to be a great teacher, okay, then then show your student, show your trainee why that you can ask for help. Exactly. It's really it's really important. I feel like the ego is part of that too, right? Obviously our personal ego. Okay, you laugh Absolutely. at me. We're so ridiculous. Surgeons are so ridiculous. <laughs> well, no, everybody has ego, <laughs> right? You. I mean, seriously, <laughs> yeah. like but but it's I, and that's what I have I I I'm, I'm sorry, I should not have laughed. No, that's really that was amazing. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was sort of like it's so obvious to me, I guess. It's yeah, just, it's our egos. But, yeah. You want somebody who doesn't have an ego cutting you open? No, <laughs> not really. I mean, I don't. No. I don't want to see somebody who's like, I don't know, what do you think? You know, how, what do right. you think? Hey, group, what do you think? I mean, I want somebody who yeah. can like... Yurder, not yurder. Yurder, not yurder. Yeah. Like, please just know. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. So some level of ego, a sense yeah. of surety, a sense of confidence. Yeah. I want that. But yeah. not not in a not in, in a misconstrued kind of way, in an right. authentic, like, okay, if I don't know that's a yurder, we probably should find someone who does. Right. Kind of way, because yeah, it's not about me, it's about the patient. And you're giving me a different lens too. So not only in the setting of me calling in help, but also the help that's coming in to come in with a compassionate, come oh. from a compassionate place too, right? Because if you're yes. coming in as a consultant being like, what the, sh what the S man, like you can't figure this out. Why are you been operating? <laughs> like that's not helping the patient either. So from both sides mm -hmm. coming from the oh, right absolutely. place. Yeah, that's kind of going back to what we were saying before. Like oh. if you're not, if you're not kind enough to yourself, Yes. You won't be kind and compassionate to that person in the moment either. And then what suffers is your patient, yes. is patient care. So let's just remember that. It's funny, I was pulling up I, before we got on the call, I want to say, oh, what is the topic for the whole SGS conference? And it has, it, the title for it is Working Together, How Collaboration Enables Us to Better Help Our Patients. That was kind of the theme yeah. for the conference. Yeah. And it's funny because, of course, it wasn't really supposed to be this month, it was really supposed to be, I don't know, March. two Octobers ago or, yeah, or yeah, year, well, yeah. March or whenever it was supposed to be. Yeah, right. With, oh, yeah, right. The original March. Yes. Yeah. March of 20 of 2020. 20, yep. And little did we know how much we were going to need each other, how much collaboration was going to be critical to taking care of patients, how much getting out of our own ego and going it alone was going to be important. So yeah. I kind of thought it was serendipitous maybe right it got moved off and now we can talk about working it'll be interesting to see if people's lectures and top talks are different having had this last year behind us right i mean how can they yeah. not be you would think we've all been impacted in such a unique way all of us it's just yeah can't you can't plan for these you can't plan for a world pandemic it's been it's just mm. been nuts no. Yeah. So I, I'm going to be interested to see. I mean, I won't have a comparison, but I'll be interested to hear from you if there's, if people frame this idea of having to be more in connection with others and collaboration as different, as a, as a different coping skill. Yeah. I um, love it. I love it. It's, it's a really good point. And I also liked your physics analogy. Whoa, Janet, going back to <laughs> basic science. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Well, don't make it don't make it like I, I had to actually go look it up on the <laughs> internet about what was the, it's, I had physics, but I couldn't remember what the, what the thing was. But right. it turned out to be pretty, like it turned out to be pretty formative, you know, yes. mass, mass, speed and direction. Yes. And, and it's funny because one of the other sort of, I like a great metaphor direction, not destination. And I think that's been another thing that I've found clients really resonating with lately, because if you really think that there's a destination, like we really know the answer to something, everything's gotten so complex. And now, yours are still where yours are, generally speaking. Yeah. Some of those things that you all do have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. But much of what we're dealing with, either as leaders in an institution or in a department, or as nations or as the world are so complex that we just have to sort of keep heading in a at in a direction. Yeah. Not hoping that there's some destination that like when we get there, yeah, it will be fine. 
or that our worth is dependent on re- reaching that destination, right? It, that's a great way of, it's another great way of turning it around. Yeah, because momentum, you can't, how can you keep your momentum up if there's a, you know, if you think that there's a destination, and then you get there and you're like, well, wait a minute, this, I, it's not where I wanted to be. Right. We talked about that at the very beginning. People right. whose careers have been so box checking related, they get to a certain place, they finally check that, you know, terminal box. I always think terminal promotion sounds like the worst thing ever, right? Yeah, it sounds like, it it sounds like, like, the, like a, a diagnosis, an end diagnosis. Right, end stage. They, yeah, They've exactly. been terminally promoted. They look around and they go, well, heck, now what? Right. I'm not even that happy. What am I doing here? Exactly. I like that a lot. And then also, like you keep mentioning, taking the space to reflect where your direction mm. is. Because it's going to shift depending on a million different things, both personal yeah. and professional. And so keeping that that direction, but then taking that time to go below the line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you talk about Stopping. that below the line, yeah. right? And seeing yeah. where you are and where you're going. Yeah, no, so true. And I think, I guess, one of the things I would hope, and this is not true for everybody universally, is that during this year of the pandemic, people had at least a little time to slow down and reflect on whether or not they want things to be the same after um, as they were before. So There's a lot of things I want to carry through. You're right. A lot of things that felt really good over the past year that that Mm -hmm. I want to keep doing, right? Like walking to work and integrating running in a different way and you know honestly not traveling i love traveling but you know being home a little bit more has actually been really refreshing so you're right yep. some things carry I'm with through. you on that i'm okay. definitely with you on that last one and you found out we can do things like this you know they can you can you can create connection yeah. in different ways yeah i agree all right janet you have given us an amazing afternoon together and i am so excited to hear your to lind in a couple of weeks so tell me, can you give us a couple teasers? Can you give us any, uh, I know you probably gave us a little bit of foreshadowing of what you're going to talk yeah, about. A little bit. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's, I think it's mostly going to be, it's going to be really tied to sort of, actually, let me say this first up front and I'll say this and hopefully <laughs> whoever's in the audience will, will just sort of smile if they see it. Yeah. I am both honored and horrified. <laughs> to be <laughs> oh, oh, let me say, Honored, humbled, and horrified. Um, to be <laughs> because one, I, like most people, have not given a live lecture in a year, over a year. So that's right. kind of horrifying and humbling. Probably it mostly is. humbled, though, by being, I think, the first non-physician giving this lecture, which is yes. really humbling. That part is incredibly humbling. Yes. And, not very, and one of very few women, which is also surprising to me. So those things all are, I can feel the weight of those things on my shoulders as I go into doing this. But I'm especially too, because not only is that kind of weird, but the topic is a little weird. I was looking at the rest of the agenda. I'm like, this is one of these things just doesn't belong here, you know, kind of thing. Because <laughs> oh, wow. um, <laughs> it's going to be mostly around resilience. So the topic, yeah. the title, actual title is Cultivating Resilience, The Power of Connection and Collaboration. And I'm going to go back and do a little bit of conversation around neuroscience and why right. we think we don't need these connections, but why we really do, because I always think going to the neuroscience of just being human kind of brings us all to the same place. I think we're also going to talk a little bit more about some of these things, some of these mindsets that get in the way yeah. of being good collaborators and good connectors. Um, so those are, those are, that's a little bit of the, a little bit of the tease for what's in there. I love it. And you know, you nailed it in that there hasn't been a lot of women doing this and first non-physician, and I cannot think of a more perfect person to give the lecture. And I'm not just saying that, Janet. I am so, <laughs> so kind of thrilled to have you. It's going to be amazing. I, 
I am excited. I am very excited, and it was uh, it was a, a like I said, an honor to be asked. Slightly horrifying. Hopefully, it doesn't appear that way when I'm actually standing here. <laughs> you always make me laugh. No, it's going to be beautiful, and I can't wait to see you in Palm Springs for the first time in person for like ever. And uh, I know we're gonna get some drinks. I, I can't wait. Yes, it's going to be great. Thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation and do a little bit of preview. And, Absolutely, uh, it got me thinking too. So it's going to give me an opportunity to continue to to tighten up that presentation a little bit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shannon. I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks and we hope to have you back sometime soon. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Bye.